All right, what was the psalm for today? It was guess, okay? Uh, we can do Psalm 119. That's a nice short one. <laughs> short, yeah. It's about seven pages in your Bible. Okay, well, here's the one. Uh, does any, well, the one I had selected was 113 because I got word that we hadn't selected one. Have we done 113 before? No, I don't think so. I think we've done 103 and 143, but not 113. All right. Uh, I was going to say, are there any questions about last week? But you'll hear it all again on Sunday. So don't ask. That means you have to go to church because you're going to have to hear it again. Those of you who were absent. All right. Psalm 113. Pop your Bibles open there. This is sort of a nice, in some sense, it's, uh, you know, there are lots of Thanksgiving psalms, and those are awfully nice around Thanksgiving holidays. Uh, and, and also these sort of psalms that begin with praising the Lord. They're, uh, you only praise the Lord because he's given you good gifts. Okay? That was a brilliant sort of prayer request. I always like when Carol gives us prayer requests because she not only gives you what she wants you to pray for, but she actually tells you how to pray for it. So that's, uh, that's very helpful. You sort of said, pray this way. Pray that the Lord does this, that we rejoice in all the good gifts. And you sort of phrase the prayer for us. That's helpful. But Psalm 113 begins that way too. Um, that's good. No, it's not a criticism. It's actually a joy. So look at Psalm 113. Let me just read this and, and sort of reflect on this, and then I'll just take your reactions. Uh, and once you give me your reactions, then we can sort of move into discussing the psalm, okay? 113, praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. Okay? So what's your initial reaction to that? I didn't ask you that last time around, and we sort of got off on a tangent. But what's your, what's your initial reaction to the psalm? What do you hear there? Okay, keep going. That's good. So, those are, those are, so you hear joy and happiness. You hear gratitude. Keep pushing. Tell me why you hear those things. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, it's very active. In this psalm, the Lord is doing all the verbs, okay? So he's stooping down, he's raising up, he's giving good stuff to the poor, uh, he's giving good stuff to the needy. Keep going. What else do you hear? Yes. Now, what leads you to believe that? It's 24-7. What leads you to believe that? Yes, that in the uh, that actually that language, this is just dawning on me now, that language is the language of the Roman Catholic Church's communion liturgy. It talks about gathering people together from east and west, but he talks about the presence of Christ from the rising of the sun to its setting, meaning Christ is always present for his people, right? That's very beautiful. That language is extraordinarily beautiful. Keep going. What else do you hear? Joy, gratitude, the Lord does the verbs. 
He does the verbs all the time. Keep going. Yeah, extraordinarily, extraordinary blessings, right? Now, who? Why is it common? Good. It's a common blessing for a common people, right? It's a common blessing for a common people. Yes. Is it mercy or is it justice? Yes. Okay, good. So it sounds like mercy. Now, why does it sound like mercy? So he gives them something they don't normally deserve in real life, right? So let's just say extraordinary gift. Okay? That's mercy. But now, now just take a second to think about this. As he gifts these people, so the barren woman, if you're a barren woman in, in, in the ancient world, you're essentially a nobody in the community, right? Just like if you go to, you know, to England and if, you, if a princess can't have a child, it you know, becomes a sort of a national emergency. Um, if you're a barren woman and you can't have a child, that means you're a nobody in society. So what does he do for the barren woman? He gives her a child. So he, he shows her mercy, but in showing her mercy, what does he do to that woman? She was, not, she was an outsider, now she's a... Now she's an insider, okay? So he squares things up, which is justice, right? Okay, so he shows justice by making wrongs right. Make sense? The wrong is this woman can't have a child. He makes it right by giving her children, and how does he make it right? By giving her an extraordinary gift. So he shows her mercy, and in showing her mercy... He also shows justice. We talked about this on Sunday. I think you remember I said, and it, you, everybody looked. It was strange to me on Sunday, and I suppose it's a natural sort of reaction from, from the previous weekend. It was a stressful, long go. But everybody just looked exhausted on Sunday. They just looked, during, I mean, during the service, and especially during Bible study, the, sort of the remnant that was there, because people had other stuff going on, and there was a science fair and all that. But the folks that stuck around, just looked exhausted, you know? Now, it could have been the instructor, uh, but it could have been the previous weekend or a combination of both. Go ahead, Beth. Yes. Well, here's the thing. Now, you've jumped about six levels down because the next point on my, on my outline here is this psalm summarizes one book of the Bible, and that book is the Gospel of St. Luke. The Gospel of St. Luke... Yes, you're, no, you're exactly right. This psalm, it's very rare that you find one psalm that summarizes an entire book of the Bible. You see that a little bit in Psalm 1, which sort of summarizes Genesis. Okay, It's all about Torah, Torah's gift, being by the still waters, all of that. But it's very rare that you find a psalm that sort of summarizes an entire book of the Bible. This psalm may be one of the few, maybe the only one, and it summarizes the Gospel of St. Luke. Now why, now, why does it summarize the Gospel of St. Luke? You're right about the barren woman. You're right about Mary's song. But what's at the heart of this psalm and Mary's song? What's at the heart of those two things? In fact, just flip open to Mary's song. Just take a look at it. It's Luke chapter 1, verse 46. This is the canticle of Mary, right? 
This is, um, this is the psalm that's prayed uh, usually at Vespers in the church. You remember uh, in the church, the, the two sort of major offices outside of the Eucharist are Matins and Vespers. At Matins, you pray the Benedictus, which is the Song of Zechariah. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. And then at evening prayer, you sing the Song of Mary. So you go to bed at night with sort of Mary's words in your ear. Now, what's just happened to Mary leading up to this point? That may give you some insight into why she sings this song. Yeah, the Annunciation, good. Now, who is Mary? Just what do you know about Mary? Young girl. Yeah, probably 13, 14 years old. Okay. Betrothed to Joseph, who's probably a bit older. I mean, the church has always said that Joseph probably died, you know, at some point during Jesus' earthly life. So the reason he's not at the foot of the cross is he was an older man, right? Um, Okay, so what else do you know? Betrothed to Joseph, cousin of Elizabeth. Is she poor or wealthy? Poor. She's a nobody. She's a poor peasant girl. From Nazareth, right? A virgin, right? Good, so you got all that in mind. She's a poor peasant girl. She's a nobody in society. She's engaged to this older man, and she is a virgin. Okay? Now, the angel comes, speaks into her ear, uh, delivers the presence of Jesus into her body, and you have all the language there. Look at just, flip back if you've got your Bibles open. Flip back to verse 35. Uh, chapter 1, Luke chapter 1, sorry. Verse 35, and the angel answered her. Remember, she says, how will this be since I am a virgin? Which is not like the question of Zechariah. Zechariah's question, you know, how are you going to give my wife a child? She's barren, is more of a question of unbelief. This is just a question of biology. How is this going to happen? I haven't been with anybody. And the angel answered her. This is how it's going to happen. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. Now, where else in Scripture do you ever see the Holy Spirit overshadowing something? Yes. Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Holy Spirit was hovering over the water. So Genesis 1, uh, at creation. This is very important to sort of see the progression in in how how the Scriptures work. Where else do you see the Lord, the Holy Spirit, overshadowing things? Yes. Okay, good. Now, whereabouts at the Exodus? Pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night, right? Um, that's how he overshadows his people. But where does, the, where does the cloud eventually come to settle? On the tabernacle. What's in the tabernacle? What's the thing in the tabernacle? The Ark of the Covenant. And what's within the Ark? Do you remember? Yeah, not the Ten Commandments, the Ten Words. It's the Word. The Word is in the Ark. So Genesis and Exodus then in the Temple. And now again, in Luke, he overshadows Mary. So you should begin to see uh, some connection here between creation. The Lord creates through speaking. You should see some connection with the Exodus, particularly the Ark. The key to the Ark is the Word is in the Ark. And then some connection to Mary. How does the Lord create this child in Mary's womb? He speaks, Genesis, 
What's the word called in John's gospel? Or what is, sorry, I just gave it to you. What's the child called in John's gospel? He's called the word. The word goes into Mary's belly, just like it went into the ark, and now you have Mary, who sort of embodies the ark of the covenant. All that's going on here. The last point, <laughs> woman, ark, Mary, church, us. That's what the last point says. So we're all done for today. Let's say our prayer. Good job. Yeah, you're exactly right. You're, here's the thing. I, I once preached a sermon that uh, I think got a fairly good review. I mean, because that's always what I'm about is the review of the sermon. Uh, a pastor once told me when people walk out and say, great sermon, that really means it was bad. And when they don't say anything, that means it was probably okay. Uh, and when they don't like it, maybe it was great. Who knows? Uh, but I said in this sermon, it was, it was, you know, the Annunciation text, this Luke text comes up in Advent every year. And I said in the sermon, you're no less a nobody than Mary. Because what the Lord does to Mary, he does to you. He speaks in your ear, and he gives you Jesus in your flesh, and then you sort of carry him to the ends of the earth. And there's a reason why at the foot of the cross in John's gospel, Mary, or Jesus says to Mary, behold your son, and he says to John, behold your mother. Mary is a picture of the church, and, and, in, and in some sense, uh, well, in more, in more than some sense, she is um, the mother of all the faithful. Okay? And we'll see that here in just a minute. All right, so good. But now in Luke's gospel, so once this has happened, she goes off in the distant country. She visits Elizabeth. Now listen to the Magnificat, verse 46. And just remember who Mary was, a nobody. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. This is the 24-7 part. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent empty away. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. That means he's faithful. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Okay? Now flip back to your psalm, Psalm 113. What's the connection between Psalm 113 and the Gospel of Luke? It's not just Mary. It is Mary. But what's the overarching connection? Jesus takes people of low degree and does what to them? He exalts them. Okay? He takes nobodies and makes them somebodies. He takes people who are out and puts them in. This is what the church is always called. And so if you want to, you know, some of these things you just sort of got to have in your vocabulary. We, we've tried to preach using this uh, terminology, but there's certain things you want to remember. This is often called the great reversal. I can never spell reversal. R-E. Great reversal, Okay. It's also called making wrongs right. It's this upside-downness to the gospel. And this is particularly the theme of St. Luke's gospel. What Jesus does is he takes nobodies and makes them somebodies. And you have to see yourself 
being caught up in this great reversal activity. Which means first you have to see yourself as what? Not a somebody, but a, a nobody. I mean, you've got to see yourself as a nobody. And it's really not, not until you get to the point of recognizing how, how grave your sin is. And this is, so I'm speaking of myself now. How grave my sin is to realize how much the Lord has lifted me up. Until you realize you've hit rock bottom, and this is the great story of the prodigal son, you can't ever imagine being called back to the banquet. Right? I mean, you have to realize you're a nobody. And yet the Lord loves nobodies, and he raises nobodies up to be somebodies. And you see this theme all over the scriptures. Where else do you, where else do you see this idea of people who are out now being people who are in? Yeah, the banquet. Yeah, the banquet. Whenever there's a banquet, he always invites Pharisees and sinners and publicans and all these people. Keep going. What did you say? Yeah, Gentiles are not the chosen people, and now they are, by virtue of Christ, the chosen people. Where else do you see this? What stories from scriptures do you see this theme playing itself out? Yeah. Yeah, that story, that's a great story. The bleeding woman who is bleeding for 12 years. Because you remember, what's the other story connected to it in the same text? How old is Jairus' daughter? So there's trouble on the 12s, right? All right, keep going. What else? Yeah, blind people outside the gate. Remember the blind guy from a... Yeah, lepers, right? Lepers are, are sort of the extreme case. Zacchaeus, he was, a, he was a little person, right? And a tax collector. How many of you watch Little People, Big World? I really like that show. I almost didn't watch TLC after John and Kate plus eight in the big breakup. I'm serious. I kind of like John and Kate. She was always a little hard on him, but, I mean, I go through the same thing at home. I know exactly what that feels like. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just speaking from my heart. <laughs> By the way, it is my anniversary on Saturday. Five, thank you very much. Five glorious years. It seems like two. Uh, my wife said it seems like a lot longer. So I don't, <laughs> I don't know if that's on me or on her. I presume it's on me. So I'm going to make an effort to make it feel shorter. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yes. All right. We said this a month ago too. Um, Don't worry about it. I do know what you're saying. That's good. I mean, it's it's good you're asking the question. So I think part of the struggle is you asked about four things there. You asked, I want to be happy, but really what you're asking is, well, what you, the question you're asking is, is there a difference between happiness and joy? And I think there is a difference. The other question you're is asking is, how do I get these sorts of things, which may be the wrong question. And the other thing you sort of said was, if the Lord is great, why do all these bad things happen? Okay, Right? Because he must do some things that aren't great if bad things are happening. Or maybe it's on us. Right? Sorry. Your question was, if the Lord is great and he does great things, why do all these bad things happen? No, I know why the bad things happen. Yeah. <laughs> This gets back to the, uh, to the great uh, Bernard of Clairvaux quote on prayer, which says, when you pray, the Lord either gives you what you want or something better. 
Now, the trouble that you've just identified is the trouble that most people have, especially sort of in, in evangelical Christianity, because they see all these bad things in the world happening or not getting precisely what they want, and somehow they've stepped out of favor with God. Part of the trouble is the way you interpret what the Lord gives you is where you are in life. So your perception changes given on sort of what your situation is. What you have to see is everything the Lord gives you is great, and everything the Lord gives you is best, but it may not always be what you want. And sort of asking for something else, uh, you know, when uh, – when, um, when, John, when Dr. Kleinig was here, he said uh, the great sin of people you – know, were you here for the Kleinig thing? No, that's all right. It wasn't – I'm not criticizing. I was just asking because then no, you'd know what I was talking about. It's online, but uh, you, should, you should listen to it because it's very good. But he talked about being at your post in life and sort of, you know, so what's my post? I'm a husband, a father, a pastor, and a student. So I have four posts in life. Your post would be you're a Christian – so you're under someone's authority. You're a mother. You're a wife. Okay? So those are your posts in life. And, and Kleinig identified the great sin was to want to have a different post than what you've been given. Now, that's a bit of a stretch because I'm not saying you want to be someone else's wife. But what you're asking for is why do they get something that I don't? And in some sense, that does verge on idolatry because someone else's gift or someone, what someone else has received is so important to you that you want it desperately. And Kleinig said, the great sin is don't want somebody, you shouldn't want somebody else's post. You shouldn't want always what I, so, so part of it is don't always be looking at everybody else. The other thing is you have to see everything that the Lord does is great and everything is a gift. And partly the reason you don't see it as great or you don't see it as a gift is because of all the other stuff that's going on in life. So, that you, so part of it is your perspective, where you're at in life. And part of it is staying put on your post. Because at the end of the day, if you ask, there's no, this, praying is not, it's not an incantation. It's not some magical formula. You use the name. You ask for what you want within the name. If you can't find it in his name, you can't ask for it. You ask for what you need, for what you need. If he doesn't give it to you, he'll give you something better. But his something better is not always your something better. There are a lot of people who say, I've got cancer, heal me. That's a fine prayer. You pray to the great physician, heal me. And if he doesn't and he kills you, then all your relatives should say, the killing was something better. And that's the upside-downness of this whole text. What you see is not always, your perception is not reality. That's the text. Perception is not reality. These people are poor. They're beggars. They're in the ash heap. And guess what? They sit with princes. Okay? That's Mary. Perception is not reality. She is the greatest. We sing every year, most highly favored lady. We sing that. It's in our hymnal. And we all, you know, we read this text and say, oh, she's a poor peasant girl. She's just like us. But reality is she's the most highly favored lady. And yet she experiences all the pain that you and I would never, ever experience seeing her son slaughtered for a cause that she didn't fully understand. Make sense? Right. Yeah. You're curious. Yeah. You see inconsistencies with worldly eyes. That's but in the scriptures, it, there's not an inconsistency there. That's just the way he works. All right. Let's keep going though, because what you've um, 
Well, yes. Yeah. 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 Well, that's a good point. And I read the Beatitudes this morning, but from Luke's Gospel. And the reason I read it from Luke's Gospel was because it gives all the blesseds in Luke 6. And then the next four verses are, but woe to the rich, but woe to you who are full, but woe to you who laugh, but woe to you who weep. So it's the same thing. He sort of he sort of wraps it all up. Rejoice here and woe to you here. He raises you up and he lowers you. So why does he not say that in the psalm? Why does he only talk about the lifting up? Yes, yeah. I wonder why he does that. Maybe because in the psalmist context, he is the one who naturally would be knocked down from his throne. He's a king. And he's so stricken with guilt that he feels he's actually sort of the poor and needy one in the ash heap. I don't know. I don't know why he doesn't go back and forth that way. Any other thoughts on that? Yeah, right. You ever notice how our prayers, are, and mine too, are a little self-centered? Sometimes we always think about ourselves. I actually have to force myself in the morning to sort of begin broadly and think about other people and the church and the world and government and all those sorts of things, and then you sort of narrow it down to what's your current situation. But sometimes when we pray, it's, Lord, I just want a pony, or I just want a... <laughs> Margin comment. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah. Yep. I, I completely agree. She doesn't fully, I don't think she, I think for Mary, when she sort of fully gets it, is at the foot of the cross. But you are right, she sort of gets it more and more as time goes on. And it's the, the tip off, the tip off that she gets it at the Annunciation is, she says, I am the servant of the Lord. Remember what she says next? Let it be unto me. And, she, and so she, she hears this. The angel says, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. Mary was a very pious woman in newer scriptures. She knew that in Genesis, the Holy Spirit overshadowed the water. The Lord spoke. And how did the Lord bring things to creation? He said, let there be. And then she receives all that and says, let it be unto me. I think she gets it there. Um, but she doesn't get it till Jesus is inside of her. She doesn't get it till she's received the gift. And that's the point. That's the point of the Annunciation. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, right. And let it be unto me according to your word means I'll take whatever you've got. Okay? Yeah. There is uh, the ultimate sort of, um, the ultimate, the overarching theme of the psalm is this distinction between high and low. Okay? You see this from the very beginning. Uh, from the rising of the sun to the setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations. Who is like the Lord our God? Who looks far down on the heavens and the earth. That's the high. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes. He gives the barren woman a home. That's the lowness. That's the low degree of which Mary speaks. My question for you is, what bridges the gap 
between this high and this low? What, what's the connecting force between the two? You see the same thing in, in Lazarus and the rich man. You remember that account in Luke's gospel? Remember? That? Yes, but even more. Yeah, okay, good. Kids, I brought a coffee cup for the children's sermon today. What does this remind you of? Jesus. <laughs> okay. <laughs> The answer is always the same. You're right. Jesus is the connecting force, but it's more than that. Uh, yes, good. So what? Yes, that was that was a little better. So you have this, and this is what the psalmist is pointing you towards. What you have to see is all the psalms point you to Jesus, but not just to some Jesus who's far off. This is, I mean, all your evangelical friends believe this is where Jesus resides today. He's high, he's lofty, he looks down. By God, you better not do that. If you want to see Jesus, go to church and let your spirit sort of ascend up to Jesus. I mean, that's, a very, that's sort of a very evangelical way of thinking about Jesus. And too often our Christian friends think this way. What bridges the gap between you of low degree and God who is high above the nations? The incarnation. So you have this divine and human in the person of Jesus. This is the key to the entire psalm, the fact that God actually takes on flesh and blood in Mary's womb. That's why it sounds so similar to Mary's song. The central theme of this this psalm is the coming together of heaven and earth, the coming together of high and low, the coming together of those who are far off and those who have been brought near, the coming together in the flesh of Jesus Christ. That's the central theme of the psalm. It's all about Jesus. That makes sense? Somehow you've got to bridge the gap between high and low. Yes, because how he starts is with heaven. Yes, good. It's the bringing together of the whole universe, and this then is earth. So everybody, princes or not, are caught up in those of low degree. And what does he do in the incarnation? He drops himself to you, but he brings you. St. Athanasius said, God became man that man might become God. Now that may be a stretch for some of you, but you can at least say, God became man that man might become like God. Okay? He drops himself down and becomes just like you so that he can raise you up and you can become just like him. And that should change the way I think you sort of interact with people. And the way you say your prayers and the way you treat your children and your spouses, that should sort of change all that because what you do in those relationships is you actually engage them as Christ himself engages people. You engage them as one who is fully human and fully divine. You, in some sense, if you are a sinner and a saint, you, in some sense, uh, bear two natures. You're fully human, and yet you bear the full divinity of Jesus. Okay? We say, at the, we say in the liturgy, what comes to the altar is the body, the blood, the soul, and the divinity of Jesus. It's full blast. So we're not just cannibals. <laughs> you don't just eat flesh and blood, and we're not reformed. We don't just eat bread and wine. You eat body, blood, soul, and divinity. You get full blast Jesus. God in the flesh comes to the altar. I was up in Wisconsin. I gave a paper to some pastors up there, and the Eucharist first, and the pastor came by. I was stunned by this. He said, he held up the host and said, the body of God himself. Which is very, to my ears, was very different than the body of Christ, the body of Christ. 
the body of God himself. Boom. Okay? That sort of bridges the gap. That changes everything. You get that? You all okay? That's why the Eucharist is everything. Um, what else? What else do you hear in the psalm? What's striking is this psalm ends with the barren woman, and Luke's gospel begins with Elizabeth. <laughs> right? It's almost as though the psalmist wrote this with Luke in mind, or Luke wrote this with the psalm in mind. So this ends with the barren woman, and Luke chapter 1 is, there was a woman named Elizabeth who was barren. Okay? Flip then to, uh, look at Revelation chapter 11 and 12. Go to the very end of chapter 11, verse 19. Uh, Revelation, I'm sorry. And we'll see how this all sort of comes together then. So it's Psalm, it's Mary, and now it's you. Psalm, Mary, and you. Revelation chapter 11, verse 19. And if you were, again, if you are here for the Kleinaking, you heard this whole thing read. Um, this is the text you remember for... Uh, St. Michael and all angels. This is a great, a great text from the, from the end of the scriptures. But um, there's this section here beginning with verse 19. Just tell me what comes to mind when you hear this. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of his covenant was seen, was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And then you know, you know what happens. Then another sign appears, a dragon. It sends the woman out into the wilderness. What do you think of when you hear that text, though? The Ark of the Covenant opens up. You see a woman. She's got twelve stars around her head. She's standing on the moon. She's giving birth. What's the, what, you know, what do you see there? Why do you see Mary? Keep going. What is that? Yes. Queen of heaven. Why else do you see Mary there? What's, what sort of tips you off to Mary in this text? Yeah, we'll give birth to a male child who will rule the nations. Okay, good. What else tips you off? Yes, goes out into the wilderness, right? What else? You ever seen icons of uh, the Ascension? Or, I'm sorry, of Pentecost? Sort of looks like, I, I mean, I won't be able to draw it, but the icon sort of looks like this. You have all the apostles standing around like this. There are 12 of them. Who's right in the middle? Mary is right in the middle of the Pentecost icon. So you have this image of Mary with sort of 12, 12 men around her. You see in this text then, there's a woman with 12 stars around her head. She's the queen of heaven. Why? Because she stands on the moon. <laughs> and she's there. Is she there with her spirit or there with her body? Looks like her body, right? It looks like she's, it looks like she's there with everything she's got. She's pregnant. She's giving birth. And if Mary then is a picture of the church, then, then this text in Revelation 11 and 12 also is a picture of you. The church gives birth to children at the font. Uh, and it looks a lot like Mary because it stood at the foot of the cross. The faithful were told at the foot of the cross, 
Behold your mother. And Mary was told, Behold your son. Richard John Newhouse, May a Soul Rest in Peace, has, has you've, you've all studied it before I was here, but it was that book called uh, Death on a Friday Afternoon. Remember that? Richard John Newhouse, former Lutheran, then Roman Catholic. He writes this great thing about those last words of Jesus where he says, Behold your son uh, and, and behold your mother. And he talks about how John is a picture of all the faithful because he followed Jesus all the way to the end. And how Mary is a picture of the church. And he, he has this play on words where he says, Behold your mother... Uh, woman, behold your son, behold your children. So John sort of embodies the church, and Mary then is a picture of the mother of all the faithful. You see that here in Revelation chapter 11 and 12, um, where she's giving birth to children, which is a picture of what happens in the church as well. So this is, I don't know who said it, Carol, I think you said it. Mary Lou said it. Someone said it. This is the psalm. It's Mary. It's the church, and it's all of you. Whatever happened to Mary happens to you. And for some of you, that's more real than for others. Um, you know, one of the, uh, there was a woman here about, it must have been last Saturday. Yeah. Not a, not a member, but is dying of cancer, and it's very painful and terrible. And um, I saw her in the pew when we went down to commune people. So she wasn't communing. But I took the oil down and anointed her, and I said, you know, Pastor Bruzik said, I think he said it down here last week, most postmoderns, you know, they don't want you to pray for them, but they'll receive a blessing. So I just said to her, can I bless you? And she said, you know, she was weeping because we were singing a hymn, and she said yes. And I blessed her into the sufferings of Christ, but her name was Mary. And so I also blessed her into the sufferings of Mary, because Mary, of course, stands at the foot of the cross and watches her son die. And you know in the beginning of Luke's gospel, it says a sword will pierce your own soul too. So I blessed her into both the sufferings of Mary and the suf- ultimately the sufferings of Jesus. Um, but you need to see yourself in light of Mary. And you have to see yourself in light of this great reversal. This psalm is your life. This is you. Uh, and so is the Magnificat. Um, and, and ultimately, let me just say one more thing, and then we'll take whatever you've got, if you've got anything. Um, I actually thought it was very helpful last week how Pastor Bruzek sort of laid out for you the time limit on your anger. That was last week, right? And part of the reason there's a time limit on your anger um, is because the Lord wants that anger reversed. Okay, What's the opposite of anger? Joy, love, yeah, joy and love, right? Peace, yeah, all those things, all the gifts of the Spirit, right? But what the Lord ultimately, the reason he puts a time limit on it is because he wants the anger to stop and someone, something else to fill its spot. He wants it reversed. He wants what this psalm talks about, which is those of low degree sort of turned upside down and made to, be, made to sit with princes. So he puts a time limit on your anger and then says, okay, that's done now. Now go on and be joyful. Now here's the strange thing. This gets back to your point. Um, You can't know what it is to be joyful in the midst of suffering unless you're in constant contact with the person of Jesus. I just, I heard this, uh, I was driving to the gym this morning, I heard this great thing. I I get XM radio for 90 days. It's a great gift. Uh, I'm not going to renew it, but it's fun for 90 days. And XM like 119 is the Catholic station out of New York. 
So when I get out of the gym at 6.45, Catholic Mass from St. Patrick's is going on, and the Archbishop was there this morning. But before that, there was this talk show, and they had a priest on who told this great story, and I was thinking about this psalm, and I was thinking about great reversal and upside-downness, and he told this story. He said, this priest was a professor at a seminary, and they had a young man in his 20s who was diagnosed with cancer. Um, and the young man, you know, sort of was their bright and shining guy at the seminary, and then they, you know, found out he had cancer and, and progressed very, very quickly. And he lived at home with his mother. And again, I've said this before, you know, no parent should outlive their child. But lived at home with his mother, and this priest recounts the story of going to give him last rites. And he says, um, when I went to give him last rites, he was shaking and sweating and you could tell he was in the midst of some of the greatest suffering anybody could ever experience. And he, he went and put oil on him. And of course, last rites for a Catholic is considered a sacrament. This is a big deal, and it should be uh, considered a big deal. So he goes and he puts oil on him, and he said, you know, he blessed him and prayed for him. And the young man sort of stat, sat up in the midst of his suffering and said, uh, I, can't explain this, the, I can't explain the great joy that's come with this. He said, you'll never be able to imagine my joy. This guy was in his 20s. You'll never be able to imagine my joy. And the priest sort of said, that shows that he was caught up in the sufferings of Christ. Now, the story gets better. They didn't give him the viaticum, which is your last Eucharist. Um, it's sort of called food for the journey or bread for the way, you know. They didn't give him the viaticum. And sadly, he moved into a coma the next day. And another priest came, the head of the seminary, brought the Eucharist, but of course he's in a coma, so what are you going to do? So the priest does a fascinating thing. He takes the pyx, which holds the host, opens it up, starts the communion liturgy, speak, consecrates the host, consecrates the chalice, and then holds up the host before the young boy who's in a coma and says, you know, Ecce Agnus Dei, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Happy are those who are called to his supper which is part of the Roman Catholic liturgy. And what happens, the boy from his coma sits up, just sits up, opens his mouth, receives the Eucharist, and says, Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. Puts his head back down, and the next day he died. Which reminds you of what story from Scripture? The widow's boy at Nain, <laughs> right? The word comes and speaks. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And the young boy sits up, and what does the young boy in Luke 7 do? He begins to speak. Okay? That's, that's where we want to push all of you. I know you may not die that way, but you all have your own form of suffering, whatever that may be. But you need to see in the midst of it all a great deal of joy and at the end of the day be able to say, Alleluia, 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 Amen. Right? That's what this psalm is all about. It's a great reversal. Okay? That makes sense? You all okay? All right. What do you have? Yes. Mm -hmm. your, your burdens are your own form, your own yoke. And Christ wants to trade yokes. That's the psalm. He just wants to trade yokes. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Okay? Yeah. Well, and that, was, and that was part of the reason why the Beatitudes are so beautiful. You know, count it all joy. When others revile you and persecute you. And, and this one was great. Count it all joy when others exclude you. I found that interesting. 
exclude you and sort of disinvite you. Count it all joy, for so they treated the prophets who went before you. You're not alone, and you need to see yourself caught up in the whole company of heaven. Every saint who has gone before you has suffered the way you have suffered. They all have their various forms, but they've all suffered. And what you need to see in the saints is an example of how to persevere, right? An example of how to carry on, and an example of how to, you know, part of the reason we talked about the saints praying for us on all saints is they're hoping you make it through. That's what they want. Yeah, Beth, did you have something? Yeah. Yep, yep. Yeah. It's always difficult, difficult for me when people say, you'll never know what I've gone through. Because you're right, I, I don't know what yours are, but I've had my own share of grief and shame and all that. And so what we need to do is be careful not to sort of impose our griefs on someone else, because that becomes very easy. Oh, Beth must be just like me. I know exactly how to get her out of this. But, but realize, you have your own share of griefs, but we share a common way forward, which is Christ. But you're right. If you're on the outside of Christ, it's difficult to see that. Non-Christians see sometimes our lives as, I mean, why would you ever want it? Why would you ever want it? Now, the, the great thing is I think a younger generation of, of non-Christians are beginning to see that and say, wow, everybody suffers. But this group of people who suffer, these Christians, they actually have some joy going forward. And so your, your witness to the world then is not, here's the Bible, come read this. It's, hey, I've got some joy, and I can give you some joy too. Yeah, being poor doesn't always refer to money. You're right. Right, and yeah, and you can't, uh, Christians, I think we can even simplify it and say, Christians who are passionate about their faith are not often good at sticking to their own knitting. So you're passionate about your faith, and we're very good at telling other people how to live their life. Sometimes Christians just need to focus on living the life Christ has called them to live. So you're right. The, 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 impulse is, the impulse is, gosh, I know exactly what you need. You know? But what Christ says is, now it's a little different for me, but because uh, I'm, given, I'm given to care for you spiritually in such a way that you should come to me and say what's best, and I should say this is best from what Christ has said. But as far as other relationships go, we should stick to our own knitting. Yeah, exactly. I agree. I agree. Yes. Oh, yeah. That's what the guy said. Cover her nose and breathe into her mouth and she'll stop crying. <laughs> and there's a difference between sort of a, uh, inserting yourself in a situation and allowing someone to ask you to help. Had I asked the woman, can you please help me? Then I was way off base for being angry. What was, the problem was, was I was trying to calm her down. The woman's over the seat. Yeah, I'm like, sit back in your own seat. Take care of my own kid. But I, but I take the point. All, it's all about, yeah. I mean, here's the thing. There's a fine line between stepping over the line and you know, being on the right side of things. You don't want to cross the line. You don't want to sort of insert yourself in situations and say, I'll help you through this. <laughs>
Right. If you ever want to do laundry, though, you can come to my house and do laundry. <laughs> but here's, so here's the takeaway. Here's, let me say one more thing, and then we'll, then we'll go, because I know we're about a minute past time. The takeaway is you all have a unique perspective on this text, this psalm, and on the Song of Mary. I mean, this is, first and foremost, this is your song. This is, this is kind of your life. So take all that and remember, as women especially, um, you bear a unique relationship with Mary and a unique relationship with the church, and that should be a great joy for you. I mean, that we always pray on LWML Sunday, you know, that they follow faithfully in the way of Mary who followed faithfully in the way of Jesus. Okay, so this, is, this text is for you. This is all yours. Okay? All right, let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.